When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am excited to share a really great interview I had with Janelle Up the Grove. She is a BCBA and owner of Grove Behavioral Services, and we are discussing leadership and the role of an RBT. Janelle has some great strategies for effectively and successfully managing a team. She talks about decentralized leadership, radical candor, things that I knew nothing about and was really, really I'm excited to learn more about these new frameworks that Janelle is really successfully using within her practice. Janelle discusses what the role of an RBT is. So if you're unfamiliar with this term, you're about to learn. And I think a lot of Janelle's strategies really apply nicely to the role of a classroom teacher on how they lead their team of paraprofessionals. So get ready to learn, get ready to have a great mindset on creating and cultivating a team that's empowered to each do their role and really take some of that off of your plate. So let's go ahead and hear from Janelle. Hi, Janelle. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So I'm excited to talk to you about the role of an RBT because we haven't really talked about it on the podcast before and really some strategies for leadership and staff management that I think will be applicable not only for BCBAs, but also for classroom teachers as well. So thanks for joining me. Absolutely. So to kind of I don't know. Look, take this all big picture. Why is effective leadership really important as a BCBA if you're working in that in-home setting or clinical setting and have RBTs 
and, and really how that could be applied to maybe a classroom teacher with their paraprofessionals as well. Sure. Um, so typically in an ABA clinic, be it in home or in clinic, we have a multi-tiered model. So we have a BCBA who is usually in charge of the treatment and supervision and oversight of a set of cases. That BCBA usually has an assistant supervisor. And beneath that are RBTs who are really the workhorses and the backbone of everything that we do in terms of direct care. So Looking at that model and how effective it can be for treatment outcomes, because there's a lot of knowledge in that pipeline of leadership, um, that pipeline becomes a lot less effective if the person at top isn't able to effectively communicate and effectively um, lead their team and the awesome people who are working underneath them. So in a classroom setting, we have, um, you know, general education or special education lead teacher, and usually that team of really awesome paraprofessionals as well as other support staff who are always looking to an individual who can kind of take point in a situation and guide, um, provide feedback, and just overall ensure that our treatment outcomes and what we're looking for and our best practices um, are what we actually achieve at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. I like that even just thinking about it as this pipeline of like, you know, going from the BCBA down, down that line so we all are on the same page working collaboratively. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, a great conversation point to make here, I don't know if you've heard of the leadership method of decentralized leadership, the decentralized model of leadership. Um, it's something that I practice and I've learned over many, many years in the military, actually, um, which seems like it would be really unrelated to what we're talking about. But in terms of leadership preparation, it's been invaluable for me. Um, have you heard of the decentralized model? No, of leadership? I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah. So essentially it gives authority to the individuals who are actually closer to the information, the situation, what have you. It gives them specific authority to be able to make really valuable decisions in the moment. So instead of having a team of people who are entirely dependent on um, looking up that pipeline to their BCBA or their clinical leadership before making a decision, Oftentimes that can be fear-based, right? They're scared to do something wrong. They're scared to upset their leadership. A decentralized model of leadership really empowers those below that main leader to be able to make those decisions. And there's a lot that circles around that. Um, a lot of decisions that that leader needs to make each and every day to empower their staff members. A lot of delegation, a lot of support, lots of really great feedback and communication. Oh, I love this like core idea and really like you said, empowering those that are that are right there, that are on the ground, that are working day to day with clients, they, they do have more of that information on what that client needs and how behaviors are going and things like that. So mm -hmm. to really have them be that point pe person feels correct, you know? It is, it is. And I think at the end of the day, when it's done well, it does nothing except positive, happy, wonderful rainbow sunshine things, right? Not only is it going to improve those treatment outcomes because people are empowered to make decisions in the moment, but it's also going to lead to increased just professional and personal satisfaction, right? To know that what you do at your work, at your in your classroom, in your clinic is valuable enough that you can make some decisions. And that doesn't mean that those decisions should be outside the scope of a particular credential, but it means that whatever is inside the scope of that credential is respected and honored and given that little bit of, of, of room to grow. 
And I think that's a problem that I hear oftentimes from RBTs as well as paraprofessionals is not feeling respected in their role or having, you know, that a little bit of autonomy to make those decisions more feeling like, oh, I have to just do what I'm told and that's it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is, I mean, I'll just say it point blank. I think that's often a failing of our field. Mm -hmm. Um, We're so good at understanding behavior, especially in the context of, you know, neurodivergence and all of the amazing, amazing kiddos that we work with. And sometimes we really fail to understand it when it comes to the other, you know, adults that we're working with day in and day out. And I think that just (laughs) our, yeah, like our social upbringing, um, it doesn't always set us up for success. We're really taught socially from the time we come up as young kiddos ourselves, right? To just um, keep the peace, not rock the boat, don't ruffle feathers, you know, especially here in the Midwest, right? We always want to be good, kind Midwesterners. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And at the end of the day, that's not always the most effective way to lead, especially in a collaborative team where a kiddo's treatment outcomes are dependent on that team working together and being led effectively. Um, So I think there's just a lot of room for growth there. So let's scale back for one minute because I think you did a great job earlier explaining this like multi-tiered model and those that Mm -hmm. are not a part of the ABA world or, you know, teachers or parents, can you explain a little bit what an RBT is and what maybe the day-to-day would look like for an RBT? Sure, sure. So RBT stands for Registered Behavior Technician. And um, at the at the most, you know, basic sentence would be they are the workhorse of the direct care provided to our clients. So they are the individual who works with a client the most hours in any given week or month. And an RBT can be incredibly influential in the outcomes Um, of a kiddo's treatment. An RBT who has strong skills can really improve the treatment outcomes for a kiddo. And an RBT who doesn't have strong skills can kind of perpetuate um, some negative stereotypes about our field and also may not make as much of of a treatment impact. So they're hugely important. Like they're, they're kind of everything. Massively, massively. And they don't, they don't get the respect they deserve. You know, I'm not sure where you started out in your ABA journey, but I also started as an RBT. And I remember those days with the, not the most amount of fondness, but I sure remember them. Yes. And it's hard. I mean, and yeah, I was an RBT before RBT was a thing as I'm sure you were. Um, and yes, hard, long hours, three hour shifts, four hour shifts. And, and it, it's challenging. And and if you're not supported by the right team, and I've been in both scenarios, that mm-hmm. it's it's extremely hard if if you don't have that support because you're still learning too. Yes. You know, typically our RBTs by nature are younger, right? So they're learning so many professional skills while they're also learning those ABA skills, mm-hmm. right? So we have a young person who we not only want to provide effective and quality care, but we also need to make sure that they learn how to show up on time for a session, right? Mm-hmm. How to make sure that what they're doing is providing dignity to a client at all times. Um, there's so many pieces that revolve and swirl around, air quote, a good RBT. Um, And it's a lot to master. And I think that the responsibility for that, for that good RBT absolutely falls on that leadership, that the assistant um, supervisors, the supervisors, the clinical leadership, all the way up to the owner of a company. Yeah. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So kind of going back to this decentralized leadership, because I'm excited to learn more about this. So what does this look like in your practice with your team on empowering RBTs to own their role, make those decisions, and have that, like you said, happy sunshine situation where it all works out? Yeah, yeah. So I really rely on effective delegation. Um, And I think for anybody who has ever, ever learned how to delegate, that is a rocky road, or at least it was for me. Um, I have an anecdote I can share if you don't mind um, about learning how to delegate. I was, you know, as I've mentioned in the military for many years and a bit of a perfectionist, always wanted to do everything the, the most perfect, right Janelle way that I possibly could. And, uh, I was really fortunate to later in my career work for this really salty old senior chief, you know, old, old guy in the Navy who observed me just really trying to maintain control over all aspects of what I had to do with my team and how I had to lead them. And, you know, I had my little notebook with my checklists every day and I had to do it all and I had to do it all perfectly. And so he started talking to me about delegation and about what that meant and how to do it. And I wasn't really effectively putting it into practice. And it took until one day where he looked at me in the morning and he said, Janelle, if you do everything on your list, you're going to be in trouble at the end of the day. You better delegate. And and he all, and he just kept a little fox eye on me all day, making sure I was delegating. At the end of the day, he said, how did that feel? And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better because I mm-hmm. didn't have to do it all. Mm-hmm. And I learned that perfection is the enemy of progress, right? It really, truly is. And I really, it drove home that I was taking away opportunities for other people to learn and professionally develop as well. And once I learned how to start delegating, then my new task that I had to, to master was how to be, remain responsible and accountable for the tasks that were delegated down. Because we can delegate authority, but we cannot delegate responsibility. At the end of the day, I am still responsible for anything that happens on my team. So that became my new new leadership challenge was learning how to nurture others to perform these skills and learning that there were different, perfect ways to do them. Yes. Um, and that's kind of the great thing about leadership, right? There's just always going to be something new that you can learn and pass on to another, right? We always want to be training our replacements. You know, in in ABA, we always say we want to be working ourselves out of a job because we do it so well. We don't want a kiddo to need us long-term. And the same holds true for leadership. We want to work ourselves out of a job, right? Because everyone's doing their tasks and their, their, um, their pieces so well, and they're fulfilled. Um, and I, I don't think we talk about that fulfillment enough and how it feels to know at the end of the day that you did a good job. I, I agree. And I think that leads to, you know, avoiding a lot of the problems we have in the field, like, you know, high staff turnover and burnout because we have people that that don't feel fulfilled. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm a, I'm a former classroom teacher, so I, I resonate with a lot of this from that kind of model of the, the teacher with the paraprofessionals in the class. 
And I had, in particular, I when you're talking, I was thinking about this woman. I had a paraprofessional that came to my class. She was much older than me. Um, didn't have a lot of experience in special ed. And everyone, you know how like teachers all talk. They're all like, oh, she's not going to want to work. She's not going to be a good yeah. fit for your class. And I realized quite quickly that she had been the paraprofessional for years that sat the, in the back of the class and like told a kid to stay on task. Mm-hmm. And when I gave her real ownership of goals and programs and taking data and teaching, I mean, I've never, I mean, she was a teacher. She was, you know, running goals. She would come in every Monday and put the dates on all her data sheets and data queen because she felt fulfilled and she was seeing the progress her kids were making. Yep. And I think that goes back to, you know, just let's just keep this in the context of an RBT, right? It goes back to just valuing not only what they're doing in a session, but valuing who they are and what they're bringing to the team because it is irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. And and when we value that, then we do a better job empowering that. So love that. Okay, so what does this look like on a day to day basis? What are some kind of actionable things you do with with your staff, um, with your RBTs, so they they start to feel that? How do you start to nurture that? Yeah. So I day to day, you know, that looks as simple as we have. Um, you know, we're, we're in home-based providers. We don't have a central location at this time. And so we have a secure chat platform that we use to be able to communicate. And if a tech has something that they feel is important or relevant that happened throughout a session, we have them put that in that chat. And it's as sometimes as simple as thanking them for their observation. You know, if we can't be there, letting them know, Hey, I hear what you said. I'll, I'll make sure I come and check in tomorrow. Or sometimes even just saying, Hey, can you tell me more? Can you describe more about what happened? And then listening, right? Mm-hmm. At that, I would say that's the most simple little thing we do. Um, but also we include them in our, um, like our quarterly staff training days. It's not uncommon to see an RBT delivering training in our company. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, when a tech is up there, rocking it and delivering some awesome, awesome training, even if it's a more basic training, right? Even if it's not like a complex BCBA level thing, it doesn't matter. It's it's empowering and it's impactful. And it's going to be information that somebody at some level of the company is going to need to hear no matter what. So let's empower them too, right? A lot of RBTs have so many amazing, amazing skills that we can tap into to empower them. I mean, even if it's something, as you were explaining, like RBTs giving training, even something maybe non-behavioral on, you know, strategies for good parent communication and things like that could be so valuable for everyone. We recently had an amazing tech deliver and just, I mean, I cannot say enough about this training. It was fantastic, but it was on building rapport. And it was research-based. It included um, fantastic, fantastic references. It was, quite frankly, a BCBA-level presentation. And, and, and she just knocked it out of the park with just that simple opportunity of, hey, would you like to do a training about rapport? Because you're really good at building rapport. We've noticed that. Would you like to do this training? And, oh, man, I was so proud of her. I, I just Aww. I was blown away. And those, I think so many techs are just waiting for those opportunities. And oftentimes, I think in tandem with our field and our science being a little bit um, kind of uh, closed off. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we also close off to our teams, right? And we think kind of going back to that, that, that younger Janelle who thought she had to do it all, right? I think sometimes our ABA education makes us think we have to do it all. Yeah. And it's just not the case. 
I think it also broad overgeneralization, but sometimes makes it hard for BCBAs to collaborate with other clinicians as well that oh, yeah. were in that role of like, we do it all. Behavior touches everything. You know, I, mm-hmm. I bet on many IEP teams and every, you know, speech stays in their lane, OT stays in their lane, but we, we, we integrate into everything. And I think that gets tricky then. And I, you know, seen BCBAs that struggle on that collaboration piece because they, they want to do everything themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, if you don't mind me sharing, I have, a communication strategy that I've, I've absolutely fallen in love with. And I've, I I would love to share um, with your listeners. So Sasha, have you ever heard about radical candor? I have not. I am super excited to, to tell you all about it. I am currently obsessed with radical candor. I have felt um, that all of my adult life, I've been searching for this like magical framework or strategy in which I can improve my communication skills, something that is really actionable really, um, you know, applicable to situations that are both professional and personal inside or outside of be it ABA or the military or whatever is going on in my life. Um, and I recently found radical candor and I just fell in love with it. So I'd love to share that with your listeners. If that's something you guys would be. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was the best lead in ever. Yeah. And I promise I'm not selling anything. I just (laughs) love it. Um, so it was developed by a woman named Kim Scott and she's kind of a big tech business, Um, executive experience. So it's not in any way on the surface applicable to what we do, you know, what you and I are doing, or even what my military experience was. Um, But it's just, it just makes sense. And radical candor is this framework that helps teach you how to identify your communication style, identify the communication styles of whoever you are uh, communicating with, and then improve those, right? Um, it reduces workplace conflict, uh, workplace drama, misunderstandings. You know, I, I say it helps us now to catch the molehill before it becomes a mountain. And it's just really been impactful um, in my organization. So so if you'd like to learn more about Radical Candor, uh, Kim Scott has a six-minute YouTube video you can watch that kind of lays out the foundational uh, concepts And she has a one-hour course you could do that's online. It's really well done. I've had all of my supervisors and assistant supervisors do it. And then in our staff trainings, I've actually done direct and explicit training about Radical Candor. We've done practicing, role-playing, and it's really helped my team to feel more comfortable providing constructive feedback and sharing things that we might otherwise feel socially uncomfortable sharing. Oh, and that's Uh, something that really so many of us could use in so many different roles. It is. It is. And one of the, the, so the framework is a, is a two by two grid and the piece that is radical candor, which is what we, you know, we're all striving for, right? We always want to be good communicators and say what we mean, but do it kindly, right? We, none of us really truly want to be jerks. I don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We just had our behavior shaped over time and what's been reinforced. Right. And so with that, the square if you, I, I wish we had a, a video so I could pull up this framework, um, but the square that is represents radical candor is orange. And so for anybody who goes and watches this and wants to implement it with their team, what we've found really effective is when we're in an uncomfortable communication moment where we want to practice growing our skills and using radical candor, we say, hey, I need to have an orange moment or I'm going to say something orange right now. And we use that, we precede what we're going to say that might be uncomfortable, that might be stretching our boundaries, right? And then it just kind of turns down the temperature on the situation. 
the other uh, communication partner can lower their defenses and say, hey, Janelle's going to try and say something that is maybe constructive, but she's doing it with positive intent. And I want to hear that. And I want to grow with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I, I've had really, really positive outcomes with that on my team from, you know, somebody who's day one coming into the company to those of us who have been around for quite a while. Um, and I just really recommend that to all your listeners if they're interested in a communication strategy that is that is really simple and really actionable. Oh, I love that. I'm going to link in the show notes the um, YouTube video you mentioned. Um, and and well, I'll title that that information as well. But I like even just explaining that initial part of the framework, taking away a little bit of the surprise factor sometimes that constructive feedback has, that it catches people exactly. off guard and then people go to defensive mode. So I like that it takes away that component of that. It does. It does. It really um, sets the stage for, hey, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to say something that I, I feel is important to move us forward or improve yeah. situation X, Y, Z, but just defuses that. So people can immediately say, all right, I'm going to turn on my listening ears and just really, again, paying attention while assuming positive intent. That's great. And, you know, my, my next question was going to be, you know, tips for handling kind of staff conflict or miss expectations, things like that. And I'm assuming that this comes right into play if, if when you're having staff issues, whether it be, you know, minor showing up late or bigger, you know, not following plans that this would be kind of your go-to then. It, it is. And by, again, valuing every credential level in an organization and teaching this up and down those credential levels. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've been here forever. Um, it, it levels the playing field, right? Yeah. And so when the playing field is more level and everybody feels more empowered, that is going to make staff conflict a little less likely to occur in the first place, right? But of course, there's still opportunities for things to happen. You know, we're all human beings. Um, but then encouraging that if possible, if appropriate, handle that at the lowest possible level by having a conversation, by addressing the molehill before it becomes a mountain. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not going to, you know, perfectly prevent a hundred percent of all conflict. Things are still going to come up. We're all, we're all human beings and, and this is real life in the real world. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's, I've found it to be pretty darn helpful. That's great. You know, in thinking about, you know, you've explained the, I really appreciate you sharing kind of all these strategies that you utilize and it sounds like such a effective and successful workplace environment that you've established. And I can imagine many RBTs listening that are like, oh, wait, I don't have that in my workplace right now. <laughs> um, what, what advice do you have for, for RBTs that are in a setting that is, is not so positive and, um, you know, nurturing to their skill set and sometimes very often the complete opposite? What, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, that's a really tricky one um, because I think the more complex issue at hand here is that most of us live in areas that don't have an expansive array of employment opportunities for a tech, right? Yeah. Most of us are not living in big cities with a wide, you know, variety of clinics and lots of places to choose from. Um, so I think that that overarching, um, you know, hurdle in our field ends up keeping a lot of RBTs in some toxic work environments because mm-hmm. they still care about the kids. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they love what they do and they know that they're, um, they're, they're doing something meaningful with the kiddos and we get so attached, you know? And so I think that ends up working against our 
ability to self-advocate mm-hmm. when we're in those toxic situations. So that's, that's a really tough one. Um, and I think that I would advocate for, for finding a mentor, right? Finding somebody, even if it's outside the field, who can help you kind of learn to professionally advocate for what you need in an environment, but also learning when it's time to walk away and maybe do something different. And that doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not saying make a huge career change, you know, off the cuff, but I'm just saying really thinking through, is this work environment right for me? Yeah. Is there something else adjacent to this that might be less toxic? Because at the end of the day, we still have to go home and we still have families. Mm -hmm. We still have lives that, you know, need our attention and they need our nurturing. And we can't do that if we're burned out and miserable at work. Yeah. So that's really good advice. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a tough one, but I would also say, don't be afraid to be a little bit picky when looking for a clinic, right? Don't be afraid to be picky and say, you know what? I don't know that you, you meet my standards. You don't have to jump at every employment opportunity. It's okay to take your time. Yeah. It's okay to interview around. It's okay to ask for more money when you get an offer, right? Mm-hmm. No one says those things out loud, but it's okay. It's okay to do that. Um, so I think that's important as well. Segwaying on that, what what should an RBT be looking for when they're interviewing or types of questions to ask to get like some insight into the the workplace culture and environment? Yeah, that's a great question. I haven't interviewed as an RBT in a long time. I know, right? <laughs> um, Throwing this at you. I, yeah, um, but I would say, I think right now our field is going through this big, beautiful, and necessary cultural shift towards compassion, towards what, you know, I dare I say, air quote, new ABA, right? Yes. We're getting away from the things that have not been healthy about our field and that so many autistic voices have really bravely spoke up about and advocated against, right? So I would say that if those things are on your mind and you're looking for a healthy work environment, if I were the one, if I were the interviewee, I'd be asking a lot of questions about the mindset of the company, right? Yes. Tell me about what is your mindset about XYZ? Um, how do you feel about work-life balance? And I'd be really trying to get the temperature on those, those mindsets because at the end of the day, when those mindsets are um, off-center and they don't skew towards valuing every individual in that company, that's where that toxicity starts getting set up and the burnout starts happening and then the turnover starts happening and it's just a vicious cycle. Yes. Oh my gosh. Janelle, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I've, you can't see me, but I'm like been over here nodding the whole time, but um, <laughs> thank you so much. I think it's been really valuable to discuss what that leadership role looks like from the BCBA down to the RBT and really also what an RBT's position looks like. Cause I know in a lot of special ed teachers have been making moves to the ABA field and, and kind of vice versa too, you know, becoming teachers as well. So, um, I love that you've shared new strategies that, you know, maybe aren't under the umbrella of what we typically think of as education or ABA leadership strategies and bringing those new frameworks into practice. I'm definitely going to link, um, the radical candor in our show notes. So I so appreciate you sharing your insights today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun to, to just talk about and share my perspectives. Um, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Can you share where um, your website and where people can go to, to hear more from you? Absolutely. So my company is called Grove Behavioral Services. Um, we are located in kind of East Central Wisconsin. So we're a little bit out of your Chicago area. Um, but you can find us at grovebehavioralservices.com. 
or Grove Behavioral Services on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks so much. I mean, if anyone's nearby, I think they're going to be applying to be an RBT at your company. I mean, you make it sound so great. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Janelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.